Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is August 25th, 2022, and I'm joined as always by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to talk about how federal programs have become what you call one big fraud fest. One big fraud fest. So I don't think this is going to be a shock to our listeners that there's a lot of fraud in federal program. But they may be shocked by the quantity. I was just going to say, apparently it's it's uh, much, much larger than we may have thought. So Tom, h- how much of America's $30.7 trillion national de- debt is a result of fraud? How much do you think? Oh, I would it, guess maybe 5 or 10%. It's a lot and it's growing exponentially. So a- as you know, Politicians oftentimes come up and say, I'm going to eliminate fraud, uh, waste, fraud, and abuse is the standard. We hear hear that phrase all the time. We hear that, and it almost never gets done. But the fraud aspect has grown worse significantly over the past several years, and especially since the federal COVID-19 relief efforts came in. So here's how New York Times reporter David Farenthold began a recent news article in the New York Times. I'm quoting, in the midst of the pandemic, the government gave unemployment benefits to the incarcerated, the imaginary, and the dead. It sent money to farms that turned out to be front yards. It paid people who were on the government's do-not-pay list. It gave loans to 342 people who said their name was N.A. That is not applicable. (laughs) (laughs) And the magnitude of the fraud is only matched by the magnitude of government incompetence. Pervasive uh, fraud in government programs has spread from, I I would argue, from an endemic to pandemic, and the feds are well aware of the problem. You know, you've done a lot of work on specific kinds of fraud in in your research career. You've Mm -hmm. done a lot of work on, like, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, Social Security disability, and things like that. Uh, and I think we've known about those, but it seems like anytime there's some sort of a new spending program that comes along, <laughs> like like the COVID relief spending, it just got built into it that you just know that we're going to be doubling the amount of fraud that we have just because it's a new program. Right. And so the Government Accountability Office sort of tries to track this every now and then, and it's it provided in its latest update, it says, and I'm quoting, for fiscal year 2021, the Office of Management and Budget reported that federal agencies had estimated about $281 billion in improper payments, which is an increase of $75 billion from the prior fiscal year and approximately double the amount reported in fiscal year 2017. Close mm. quote. So notice, a doubling of this improper payments sent from 2017 to 2021. And worse yet, the GAO adds, quote, again, this estimate is likely understated since it doesn't include improper payments related to COVID-19 funding, such as Small Business Administration's uh, Paycheck Protection. Okay, so uh, that does not provision. even include, like, the massive That PPP doesn't even program. include that. Wow. It goes on to define what improper payments are. Uh, and the improper payments are essentially payments that, either could have overpaid or was not due to somebody there's it doesn't necessarily all mean fraud but a lot of it is but essentially because the government can't doesn't know what all of this money is going to 
So it it says, in fact, I would argue that it's uh, an understatement in the sense that I'm quoting again from the GAO. The government still doesn't fully understand the size of federal improper payments, partly because it doesn't have complete, reliable and accurate estimates, according to the GAO. So we're talking about a huge amount of money, even though it's it's suggesting about two hundred and eighty one billion dollars there. Uh, it may be more, it may be less, it doesn't really know because it doesn't really have a good handle on this. So it's like $281 billion is like the smallest conceivable number that it could be. Uh, and it's got to be bigger than that because you said that does not include PPP and other COVID relief programs. Right. So they, they use the term improper payments because they don't necessarily mean it's all fraud, mm. but a lot of it is. And then when we get to PPP, so how much are we talking about there? Well, NC, NBC uh, tallied up what they think is the suspected fraud in COVID so far, the early part of the COVID payments. That was that would be $80 billion for the COVID relief plan known as PPP, Paycheck Protect, Protection Program, $90 billion to $400 billion quite a spread there in the COVID unemployment program. That was all the money that the federal government was handing out to people who said they were unemployed. And then $80 billion from the COVID disaster relief program. So you tally, you tally that up and you add that on top of the $281 billion and pretty soon you're talking about some real money. If you take that top estimate, you know, when you said $90 billion to $400 billion for the unemployment program, if you take that top estimate, you're at a trillion dollars. Yes. <laughs> of, of, of improper payments. Yep. Which, and, of course, the government was, pour, was pouring out $5 trillion in all those programs. And, of right. course, this, is, this was done at the beginning of, uh, of uh, 2022 in this estimate looking back. So we, the government is still doing this. And when you look at what the government has been doing on trying to um, uh, uh, recapture this, they have hundreds of lawyers at work in various agencies trying to recapture some of this. They've recaptured a little bit, but they're not recapturing a lot of it yet. And they've said it will probably be here. In fact, they extended they extended the uh, the time that they can prosecute these, the statute of limitations, to 10 years because it's going to take them so long to go through this. And they even say... You know, we're really primarily looking at the bigger numbers. If you just sort of captured maybe $10,000 or so, we're probably not even coming after you because it's that small fry money <laughs> compared to what we're looking for. It's just a rounding error. So, you know, um, it seems like with as much money as we're talking about here of improper payments, it would make a lot more sense to hire 87,000 new people to prosecute those kinds of things than IRS agents. I mean, it looks like there's a whole lot more money for the federal government to recoup just by clawing back improper payments rather than by auditing people. But they're going after the audits of of higher-income people. At least that's what they claim. Part of this is a function of just how big and how massive federal spending has become. Exactly right. Because you can't – there aren't enough people. Mm-hmm. to monitor the money as it goes out the door, to keep track of it, to investigate. I mean, it takes time to investigate fraud. And, and you know, when this first came out, in the first COVID relief in March of 2020, you know, Congress was trying, they were shutting, they were locking down, the states were locking down businesses, locking down the states, people were having to stay home. And so Congress tried to rush something out, bipartisan legislation, President Trump signed it at the time, and you, you knew when they were doing this in a matter of just 
four or five days. I mean, I think a week or something like that they did to get this out. You knew there was going to be some problems there. Right. And there was a little bit of a discussion about, you know, what's what's the what's the most efficient way to do this? What's the best way to do this? You may recall that we actually had an op-ed right. in the Wall Street Journal where we were suggesting, look, uh, the federal government could automatically issue lines of credit mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to, to every business with a business checking account or to every household with a, with a checking account. And so you would let people essentially control the amount of relief that they actually needed. But no, the, no, that was viewed as too little and taking too long. And so the idea, the, 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 the plan instead was just to dump hundreds of billions of dollars in federal last few years. Uh, you know, when you're looking at the size of these numbers, holy cow, it's no wonder that it's driving inflation because improper payments essentially means money that went to people that shouldn't have gone to them. Right. So, you know, j- just the, the just the improper payments itself might be responsible for <laughs> one or one and a half percent of, of inflation, you know. You know, and, and so the, when you're looking at the COVID-related fraud, the question is who was responsible for that? And a Senate majority whip... Um, James Clyburn recently said, well, he, he blamed Donald Trump for it. He oh, said, well, sure, why not? Of this is Donald Trump. Right. And, and, of course, the fact is that Democrats controlled the House and Senate at the time. I don't recall, maybe you do, I don't recall any Democrats saying, wait a minute, let's hold up and slow this down because there, there's likely to be a whole lot of fraud no, out if, there. If there, were, if there were any voices crying out, hey, wait a minute, let's go slow, and there probably weren't many. But my recollection is if there were any voices, they were Republicans. They weren't Democrats. Democrats were screaming for the Trump administration to do something. Right, and they would be widely criticized for trying to slow this money down that the people, the public, had absolutely exactly. had to have. Exactly. So that's part of it. But we've seen this for a while in going on in Medicare and Medicaid. And, in fact, I would argue... It's not clear to me how much Democrats actually care about the fraud. And just I I take Medicaid as an example here because Medicaid has got so much money going out. It has something like 89 million uh, Americans in it now. It's costing roughly $700 billion a year. And the improper payments in Medicaid, because the, the federal government tracks what they think is uh, improper payments in Medicare and Medicaid, and they usually run at about 10 or 12% of the program, but they it's up to now for Medicaid about 22% of the program, and the um, uh, Foundation for Government Accountability, a separate, that's a private think tank in essence, a po- public policy group, estimates that in some states it's maybe up to 50%, and we know that 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 can be the case. In Texas, almost 50% of the births are paid for by Medicaid. In New Mexico, it's more like 75% of the births are paid for by Medicaid. And this is money that the states administer. Right. The states administer. It's a federal state program, but Mm -hmm. the states administer under federal guidelines, and states can change that and so forth. But there is a huge amount. I mean, the the Foundation for Government Accountability estimates that roughly 80% of the fraud in Medicaid is primarily going to people who are not eligible to be in Medicaid. Uh, either they may have died, they may have moved states, they may have gotten a job, they may have gotten they may have uh, gotten married to somebody who has a job and now is getting 
uh, employer-based health insurance and so forth. So it's, it's a huge bit. It's been a problem for some time. But then the question comes about, does, does the left even care about that? Because if you're a Democrat and you believe that the federal government should be providing health, comprehensive health coverage for every American, and a lot of Democrats do now, then why would you care if somebody who's not really eligible for Medicaid gets Medicaid coverage? Because you think they ought to to be in the program anyway. In fact, you have an example of actually an anecdote about where there was a state. I remember you wrote about this a couple years ago where there was a state that actually went out and engaged a third-party firm to try to cut down on the amount of fraud. Right. They succeeded wildly. They were very successful in identifying a lot of fraud. And the reward that they got for that was to be fired by the state. <laughs> and and it, it, that's the, you asked the question earlier, do Democrats even want to, to prevent this kind of fraud and improper payments? And that would suggest that no, yeah. no, they, they don't want to prevent it. They're, they're happy for that money to be going out the door and going to people. If, they, if you think that uh, the federal government should be v- providing health care for every American and you've got some people who are on it who aren't eligible – why would you care? Because you think those people, that for them, the problem is that the rest of us aren't in the Medicaid program, not that people who are in that aren't eligible for it. Not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but there, there really is something in the progressive left worldview that it's like pe- people shouldn't have to work. Mm-hmm. I, I remember several years ago, Nancy Pelosi talking about how, you know, if, if, if people were on, if people were state supported, uh, that might allow them to become poets. Yes. And artists, an artist. and things like that, because artist, yes, because they wouldn't be they wouldn't be just a cog in the capitalist machine. And so, you know, for those of us on the right, when we talk about free market, uh, free enterprise, free markets, uh, capitalism, and that sort of a thing, we see those as the most wildly successful uh, engines that have ever been come up with, as far as wealth creation and people being able to better themselves through their own hard work and creativity and intelligence. But I think folks on the left look at that and they say, you know, it's a shame people have to work. And and, and if if we could somehow make it work, if we could somehow just like tax the bejesus out of the upper two percent of the wealthy, that we could put everybody else on some sort of a government subsidized universal basic income or something, and they wouldn't have to work. And wouldn't that be better? And if if the left sort of thinks that people shouldn't have to work in order to have an income. Double that down with regard to health care because yep. they think everybody should be able to have health care. That's, that's, that's a moral that is, right. That's yeah. a moral right, right. That, the, that the government should cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's sort of where we are. And so fraud is rampant. The government programs are expanding. And we'll have to see. But it's we're, we, we may at some point come to, to a place where you simply can't keep doing that uh, because the fraud is just so rampant. You know, there's um, from a philosophical standpoint, those of us who believe in limited government, part of the reason we believe in limited government is that that's the best you can do is limit government because because the incentives that government has are totally different than the incentives in the private sector. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that some today. The incentives here are just to send checks out the out the window. You know, Uh, there's no incentive to protect the taxpayer. There's no incentive to eliminate waste, fraud, and abuse. The the incentive is to send checks to people. So you can't expect government to be efficient. Right. You can't expect government to be lean and mean and competitive. You can't expect government 
it's almost like you can't expect good government. It's like the best you can do is limited government. And that's one, again, that's one of the reasons why conservatives have historically championed limited government because it's kind of like that's that's the best option we have is simply limiting the damage. So up, uh, up until the Affordable Care Act, the for Medicare and Medicaid, the requirement was what we called pay and chase. Mm-hmm. So when 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 uh, bills came in from doctors, hospitals, clinics and so forth, the government paid it and then if something looked askew like somebody if somebody was really <laughs> drawing down an awful lot of money, then they might say well, this looks like a problem, let's go look into this. But that and, that's in contrast with the way like private health insurance companies operate, Exactly right? the opposite. So right, they've yeah. got a filter at the front like before they pay the claim this looks suspicious. So the Affordable Care Act was trying to ch- change that. I don't know that it's been that effective in the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the the private sector, because this is private sector money, and if the money if if it pays claims that it doesn't it doesn't owe, then that means premiums go up, people drop out of the program, and so forth. So the private sector has an incentive to try right. to minimize that. The left thinks they go too far, but the left does almost nothing to minimize yeah, this. It, it it really is this issue of incentives in the private sector. You have an incentive to be as efficient and as profitable and productive as possible. And if anything, the incentives are the opposite for the for government. Right. You want, you want to pay these things, and then maybe you go after somebody if you see massive fraud. So you conclude by asking the question, can government limit fraud? And you're not optimistic I'm about not that, I'm not optimistic because I think the only way we're going to be able to limit it is you have to dramatically scale back all the programs that we have. And if this administration has given us any, indica- any indication, it's willing to expand programs, not cut them back. Well, on that delightful note, uh, we thank you for listening to this podcast today. We would invite you to check out our website at ipi.org, where you can find a lot more of Dr. Matthews' very uncheerful work on the subject of fraud, waste, and abuse. You can sign up at our website if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.